you're here. My goal this morning, I have a couple goals, but one of them is to point you to the, the anchor of our Savior. And with it being Mother's Day, I have a secondary goal, not to put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> I've been known to do that every once in a while on Mother's Day. So now that I know that, pray for me that I don't do that. <laughs> So there have been a lot of really exemplar and outstanding mothers uh, throughout history. And no good Mother's Day is complete without recounting a few of their stories. Some of the first ones, did you know that one of the, the most ancient written document of a woman uh, that is a believer was written by a diary of a lady by the name of Perpetua. Uh, Perpetua, and she's known with her companion named Felicity. They were believers. She was a believer, despite her father uh, constantly pleading for her to recant. This is in the Roman Empire, uh, which the emperor was against Christians at the time and, and indeed had her arrested. But what uh, you may not know, is that she was, uh, had a newborn baby, had a nursing mother, and her friend Felicity was expecting a child. Both of these were arrested with several others uh, at that time. This is around 203 A.D. The women were beaten. And one of the things that happened was that Perpetua gave up her child to be raised by family members. Felicity prayed that she could have her delivery soon because she was under sentence of death with the rest of them, including Perpetua. And she wanted to die with her comrades. And so she prayed that she would have an early uh, delivery, and she did. Uh, two days before her sentence, she had her baby. And there she was brought her perpetual to the wild animals, where they were presented to be slaughtered by the wild animals. Sometimes her stories were counted on Mother's Day to say, Here is a woman that put Jesus above everything. And then you have others. Some of you know the story of Augustine or Augustine. He was one of the early church fathers in the 300s. But he would never have become a believer if it wasn't for a mother who was constantly praying. In fact, got to the point where she sailed from North Africa to, to Italy to beg her son to, to attend church with her. He honored her wishes and was saved under the preaching of Ambrose in Milan. And then some of you have heard about Susanna Wesley, or at least her son, John, and Charles Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Uh, she was also a Christian mother. Uh, she had 19 children. 19. But only 10 survived. 10 children. But she oversaw their spiritual development, educational development. In fact, one of the stories about Susanna, when you have 10 children, how do you pray? So the story goes that Susanna Wesley, to find a quiet place, 
to pray, would put the apron over her head. And when the apron was over her head, it was a sign to the children, Mama's praying, don't talk to me. (laughs) Each night, she would take one of her children and have an individual conversation and prayer with them. Each night. She wrote commentaries on the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer as curriculum for her children. And so, of course, we've got Hark the Herald Angels Sing, A Thousand Tongues, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, Rejoice the Lord is King, and the Methodist Church (laughs) that came uh, through her influence. And so there's been pattern after pattern of mothers, and you could probably, hopefully, share at least about some in your life, someone you know. I want to talk to you this morning about Mary from Mark chapter 3. And what I want to share with you is not a feel-good story. This is not the success of a mother. Um, I've shared with you the stories that, yes, they are good influences. But, you know, a lot of times when we hear these stories, you know, honestly, we don't relate We don't relate to having ten children and putting aprons over her head to maintain some sense of prayer. We don't relate to uh, someone having a baby and giving up so you can be killed by wild animals. But I think that there are some aspects of Mary that are not talked about often that I want to present to us that I think we can relate to. It's not the... Mary's magnificent when she's praising God for the things that she's hearing. Uh, it's not the, the nativity story where she's pondering all these things and keeping them in her heart. Um, in fact, we kind of see how time and familiarity has effect in Mary in regards to Jesus. And Mary's not named specifically, but she's named in a group with her family. And so in Mark chapter 3... We're going to read, uh, start with verse 20. In fact, we'll go through verse 35. Jesus has some pretty amazing things to say about family uh, that was very threatening to the Jewish culture. Uh, So in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. Mark chapter 3. There's been a large crowd together around Jesus, as often was the case. He's set aside 12 apostles, so there's an uh, inner group. That's there. And we find ourselves in verse 20. Capernaum is home for him now. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it. Family, all right. Mary being a part of that. They went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by... Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? The kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand, and if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. 
for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated. So, when is it okay to worship your child? (laughs) All right? I think that might be a question we ask, because sometimes I've seen that there's a tendency to do exactly that. Uh, We call it being child-centered today. Uh, In essence, everything revolves around your child. Your calendar, your schedule, your priorities in life is dictated by your child. And this is somewhat of a a new approach. Some of you who are older uh, can understand there's differences in how parents are raising their children. I got a glimpse of this one time when I was in uh, another country, and uh, we were happened to visit at their place. The parents were gone. They were out working. I don't know where they were, and I saw there in their house just a little, I don't know, he was maybe three, three-year-old little boy and maybe an eight-year-old little boy. And I'm thinking, where are your parents? <laughs> Oh, they're gone. Who's here? I am. <laughs> and my brother. And it just hit me. It's like, that would never happen in America. We don't do things like that. And so it just, it kind of gave me a glimpse that we are in a very child-centered uh, society. And for those of you who have uh, had other generations, you've seen this, and you probably know this more than those of us who are living in the midst of this, of how child-centered we are. So I want to ask this question. When is it okay to worship your child? And for us to hit this, I'm going to talk about a couple of times when it's not okay. All right? So let's look at this. And we see this in the attitudes around Jesus. The attitudes of Mary and the brothers, as well as the others that are there around Jesus. And so you get this, uh, verse 20 uh, and verse 21. They went home crowd gathered around them so they could not even eat, and the family heard of it. Now, we know who this family is because we see in verse 31, it's referring to the mother and the brothers. At this time, Joseph is never mentioned, so many scholars believe that Joseph is just kind of out of the scene at this point. He's dead or something's happened to him. He's never really regarded much anymore after Jesus was 12. Uh, never mentioned. And so, uh, here they are, and they want to go into uh, to see Jesus. Why do they want to see Jesus? You see that in verse 21? They want to, what does your translation say? Mine says, seize him. All right? Because that shows the strength of the word. They're not just trying to get him to come to dinner. They, this is the same word used to arrest someone. They want to do an intervention in Jesus' life. Why? Well, what does it say? Verse 21. They think he's crazy. <laughs> all right, so here's a little clue right here. Right? When is it not okay to worship a child? It is not okay to worship your child when you think he's crazy. All right? Just, you know, I, I put a lot of thought in these points here, all right? <laughs> I want you to, <laughs> to learn from this, all right? Write that down. Don't worship him when I think he's crazy, all right? So here they are. And they're just like, Jesus is, is saying stuff 
that you don't normally say. He is forgiving people of their sins. He is uh, causing lepers to be healed again. He's causing lame people to walk again. He's making audacious claims. Listen, if your son starts saying that he is I am before Abraham was, he's I am, you got, you got to do a check on him. All right? If, if he's saying, I forgive that person who sinned against that other person. You... That's not normal behavior. And so what you see here from Mary and the brothers is what you would expect from any family who has a person that claims to be God. You understand this? Something has happened in Mary's life and in the brothers. Let me just assure you, it is not normal for brothers to worship their brother. Right? Those of you who have brothers, understand this. You beat them. <laughs> right? You slander them. You laugh at them. You pick on them. But you don't really worship them. Okay? Uh, and so that's what's going on. And you got these brothers. And say, Here goes Jesus again. And now the whole world seems to be falling. And we can't even get him home. And so they are regarding him as crazy. Now listen, that is a normal expectation. It is a reasonable thing for us to think if someone claims to be God. And they do not share the qualities of God. You understand that? It's not so far-fetched. But interesting enough, something happens in the life of of the brothers and Mary. You see, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus, the story he's given is written. He's no longer there with them. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it's talking about those who are following Jesus, how they're gathered together, and it includes Mary and Jesus' brothers are with the disciples after Jesus is long gone, and they are praying in the name of Jesus. What happens? Well, I don't want to give it away yet, all right? (laughs) But something happens, but at this point, they regard him as crazy. Now, we keep on reading, and we see the other view about Jesus. One, he's out of his mind. Then we we got the scribes, we got the religious leaders. And notice what they say in verse 22. He is possessed by Beelzebub. This is the literal Lord of the Flies here, right? It was another name for Satan. He is possessed by Satan. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. They regard him as evil. All right, so, clue number two. Don't worship your son if he is evil. Okay? Now, we laugh about that. But how many of you have children that are evil? Now we may, (laughs) I'm so glad some of you raised your hands. That's good. You're honest. You're honest. All right. So Mother's Day, let's speak honestly for a little bit. All right. I happen to have a mother. (laughs) I know who I am. All right. She's, she and I are in agreement about this. I'm evil. Okay. Now, so how do you know that? They are born with selfish tendencies. They're born with 
uh, sin-directed. They are born with their heart and their mind bent away from God, and they are bent with it toward themselves. Okay? And we're all born in that same direction, in that same way. You don't have to teach your child how to be selfish. I don't think I've taught my children how to lie, but they do it pretty good. And I'm speaking about myself too, all right? Why? It's their direction. We have to work about sharing, don't we? We have to work about speaking in kindness because they're born as evil. And so here the religious leaders are looking at Jesus and they're hearing these claims. And I would just present to you that this also is a reasonable option. For Jesus, who claims to say, if you follow me, I will give you life, and life more abundantly. He says to the people, if you do not love me more than your father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. Who on earth can make such claims to say, forget your mother, forget your father, worship me instead? Who's going to make that claim? Either they know something we don't, or they're evil. You see how that could be a reasonable option? And so Jesus hears this. And he speaks a story to them, a parable to them. And he says, look, there's a house. And if someone's going to plunder those goods, they've got to first bind the strong man, verse 27. You know what he's saying here? These things that I'm doing, I'm casting out demons that lets you know that I could not do that unless I first bind the strong man. Unless I first have power over Satan. Unless I am greater than evil. Jesus is making a claim. I'm the strong man. I am the one who is greater than the evil of your heart. Do you know how easy it is for a family to break up? Some of you know firsthand how easy it is. And it is born out of the desires of our heart. And Jesus is saying, so quick, so easy it can happen with just one word, just one misunderstanding, or just one absence of a word can break up a family. But I am greater than evil. Jesus, along the way, has been casting out demons. He is uh, causing dead people to rise again. And he is stopping storms. He is every step of the way showing how he is greater than the evil forces that are in our life. And so he says, I'm the one who's going to bind the strong man. Now here's the thing. When Jesus is saying that he's going to bind the strong man and he's going to defeat evil, that's what he's saying. He's going to defeat evil. It goes back to something, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is one of the very first words of God for mothers. And basically he's saying is, mothers, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. There's going to be pain after pain, but the only hope you have for salvation is that you go through the pain of having children. Because there will be someone who will come from the mother's line who is going to be wounded by the serpent 
But the seed of woman is going to crush the serpent's head. In other words, there is going to be a victory done over evil, done at the price of this descendant. So, this, uh, yesterday, two days ago, we discovered a serpent. <laughs> no, Canaan discovered a serpent. Uh, we were inside, you know, and the boys do what they do outside. And uh, this was uh, right by our front uh, sidewalk. Where just maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, I was there cutting the boys' hair. Uh, right there. And evidently, unknowns to me, was a snake right there. And not just any snake. A brown pattern snake with a diamond-shaped head, a copperhead, nice thick body to it. <laughs> I didn't know it was there. Cain is out there doing his thing and just, you know, by himself, comes in and says, I found a snake. <laughs> it was alive, but still, like he's dead, but he's alive. <laughs> so mama does what mama does. She goes out and says, I better check on this thing. And sure enough, I hear, Dad, get a hoe, get a shovel. And I look out there, and I see it, and I'm like, oh, my. And I get it, come back, and I check it out a little close, like, oh, my. And so let me just assure you, it was not with one hit that the serpent died. All right? It, it was more than that, you know. And then I just admired it for a while. I was like, that's a beautiful thing. I'm glad it's dead, you know, and it was just a reminder, constantly, Cain is a very active boy, he has been saved from death multiple times, that's called parenting, all right, but if the copperhead had bit my son's heel, there would be no victory in that, would there? There's only been one who endured death, buried in a tomb, three days. Says, up, I'm back. Death couldn't do it. His righteousness, his power, his goodness was greater than anything of evil in this world can throw at him. Why is the resurrection so important? Because it tells us God's goodness is greater than my sin. That's it. And it's all of our sins. And so when we deal with the shame of sin, and we are dealing with the ramifications of it all, and it wrecks our life, here's Jesus saying, I want it. I did this for you. I fought the battle and won. Now, here's one of the things that we've talked about either Jesus was regarded as insane or he was regarded as evil. But in our day and age, we have another option. We say, well, maybe the Bible's just wrong. Maybe it's just myth. I mean, they really like Jesus and... Um, Wanted him to be something other than he was. And so we've got 
things like Gnostic Gospels and other things that were really written hundreds of years later after the events of Jesus. Whereas some of the Gospels and some of the things written about Jesus were written at the time or, or around 20, 30, 40 years later after Jesus. So that when it was written, there was actually people that lived in that time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or chapter 15 rather, verse 7, 6 and 7. It says this, Paul referring to the resurrection of Jesus, he talks about how he was buried, rose again the third day, appeared to Cephas or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, when I write these things, there are people who can discount what I'm saying. I'm writing this not in some vacuum, but I'm writing it in the context of a group of people who are what? They're Jews. What do Jews believe? Jews did not believe that God was in everyone. Jews did not believe that there were many gods that had flaws like the Western thought of that time. Jews believed that there was one God. One God. And they were adamant devoted and worshiping this one true God that even the, the terrors of the Roman Empire would not dissuade them from. Uh, uh, Nazism and other things throughout time has not dissuaded them from their Judaism, but it was from this group of people who said, you know, Jesus is God. The Jews were the ones who did this. And then he said, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And most people believe that the James in question is the James that is the brother of Jesus. The James who thought that Jesus was out of his mind. Let's seize him. Let's put him in a room somewhere because he's ruining our family reputation. We're known as nuts now. So how do you convince your brother to worship you? (laughs) It might be a good question for some of us. Here's how you do it. You die. And you die exactly how you say you will die. And then you make sure that someone buries you according to how it is foretold. And here's the tricky part. Then you come back. You die, get buried, and you come back. Then your brother becomes a believer. All right? So 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus makes an appearance to James. And James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. In fact, when we continue our study in Acts 15, we're going to see exactly that. That James is a decision maker uh, there in that church. So what do you do? Alright, so you got this so far? Don't worship your son if he's crazy, all right? Don't worship your son if he's evil, all right? But listen, if your son is a savior of your sin, if he binds Satan, then you worship him. Then you worship him. Notice how Jesus answers this. Verse 31, 35, his mother and his brothers come, standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, 
Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you, and answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, whoever obeys me, who obeys God, whoever worships me, is the same idea of doing the will of God. He is my brother and sister and my mother. You know what he's saying to Mary? Mary, you may have given birth to me. You may have changed my diapers. You may have nursed me. God used you in that way. But Mary, if you do not obey me, then you're not my mother. And you're not my brother. Sometimes we like to make all kinds of claims like, well, you know, I've got a good family. I hang out with Christians. My dad's a, a, (laughs) I did this. My dad's a pastor. I'm good with God, right? Jesus is saying, you could, be, you could be his mother. But if you don't obey Jesus, you're not in his family. So if he saves you from evil, but I love how Jesus saves us from evil. What do we do with evil in our life? You know what our first instinct is? Moms, dads, what's your first instinct with evil you see in your child? Well, hopefully it's good. But your first instinct might not be good. As they get older, it gets harder, doesn't it? Our instinct is, you do this? All right, let me do this for you. You yell at your brother and sister? Well, let me yell at you. You get mad and angry? Well, let me get angry and mad at you. See, the tough thing about evil is how do you stop it? We want God to stop the evil in our world. When we see gross injustices and oppressions. But listen, where does God stop at that? If you're asking God to stop the evil in the world, where does he stop cutting off evil at? As long as there's evil in someone else. But what about the evil in your heart? Well, God, you don't have to deal with that. You know the thing is about Jesus? Jesus stops evil and at the same time saves his people who have evil in their hearts. How does he stop evil without killing everybody? He did it in the most beautiful way way he absorbs the evil that's in your heart and life and takes the punishment himself that's why resurrection is such a sweet thing he gives love when wrath was deserved isn't that something he died the death I should have died and lived the life I should have lived That's the beauty of Jesus on the cross. What he does. I want to challenge us. We could give evil for evil. We can ignore others when they ignore us. We can do these things. But a lot of times we're trading evil for evil. And it's the evil that we don't like to begin with. So Romans chapter 12 says, don't give place to that. Vengeance belongs to God. Give kindness and compassion and love. What happens when we lash out? Will they listen to us anymore? 
No. When we lash out in anger, you sever the ties, don't you? Jesus does in such a way where he reunites us because he does it by love. Mothers, you're at your best when you're Christ-like and you love and you show compassion when there is no (laughs) normal reason for compassion. Your child is evil and crazy. And I don't think I put my foot in my mouth. I think it's true. I'm talking about myself. Again, I have a mother, all right? I'm talking about myself. But the solution to evil and craziness is still Jesus. Surrender to the love he has for you so you can take off your pride and take the servant's role and wash the feet of the child. And that's how the disciples were changed. That's how we're changed. And that's how your children will be changed. Presenting them, bathing them in the prayers of Jesus Christ. Let's do that. Let's pray.